Welcome to the Rise to the Challenge podcast. Joined today, he's a real estate entrepreneur and the co-founder of One Life Rediscover Mastermind. It's Sterling Shrout. How are you doing today, Sterling? Great, Alex. Thanks for having me. We're so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? Yeah, so um, I'm from Dayton, Ohio, um, middle schoolish, you know, area. I moved out to Montana um, growing up. I loved hunting, fishing, uh, anything outdoors. I still do. Um, yeah, moved back to Ohio and here I still still am. There's probably a big difference between Ohio and Montana is two different complete places. You talked about hunting and stuff and the outdoors. What made you like about those activities and being outdoors? Uh, this is somewhere I felt um, like present. I felt like that was, was right. That was, you know, all was right in the world when I'm out just exploring and um, I kill a lot less animals these days, but um <laughs> You know, I just appreciate them now, but um, that just, that was fulfilling. There was like purpose in that or, you know, a sense of that feeling. Was there someone that you enjoyed doing those activities with or someone that kind of influenced you to get going in hunting and stuff like that? Um, uh, Hunting, fishing, that would be my, my dad, my grandpa. My dad would take me fishing. My mom would take me fishing. Um, But when you live in, Montana in the middle of nowhere and it's like that's all you're surrounded by plus it's you know it's you got uh deer elk moose coyotes wolves bison like we weren't too far from Yellowstone trout um you know like when that stuff's around it's it's um you just want to find it and like I don't know it's tempting it's like my thing still is salmon fishing we went like three times over the last year and a half Wow. Um, so, yeah. Living in Montana and kind of that rural lifestyle, was it hard to be interactive or did you feel more like a solo because you were doing those kind of things and not getting out as much? So because I wasn't born into that um, or moved, moved there at like too young of an age to remember Ohio, um, I went from a really high population like Dayton, Ohio to I believe it was like 7,000 people in the town that I lived in in Montana. And um, that was a decent sized town. Uh, we had a Burger King. <laughs> and um, <laughs> um, so like thinking, you know, though I didn't really know how to perceive it. That's a big shift um, culturally, geographically, everything. Um, Cause there was no family members out there. Um, so I didn't looking back, that's probably the best thing that could have happened to me. Um, but at that time, uh you know just getting into that like preteen teenage years um you know kind of at first I was a victim of it before I embraced it and then you know like I said dove into hunting and fishing and trapping and camping and mountain hiking and you know all that as you're getting older what were you enjoying were you finding other things that kind of got your a passion in your mind or things that you wanted to enjoy besides those previous activities um yeah so you know like the not so fun side of it was um once my mom and her boyfriend had split up out there um then it was me and her and um we were extremely poor. And I guess this is like leading into the great recession era. Um, so not having many financial means growing up, <clears throat> you know, um, and that was my entire life. Um, like I was born in a trailer park and everything else. Um, that bothered me. And then I wanted to make um, money and I really like, I don't think I give enough credit to the movie Blow with Johnny Depp, like where you know, like idolizes you know, you know, drug trafficking. And I could probably quote too many lines from that movie, um, but that was like, oh well, that's how you, that's how you change your situation. Like uh, I remember getting like ninth grade, I was growing um, pot in my room, and behind my door, I thought it was really slick. Like she, if she opened the door, she wouldn't see it, and um, told her it was mint. She, she wasn't buying it. Um, so, 
Um, that was like the first thing that I tried to like, then I broke down the numbers for, it. I'm like, look, we need to, you know, you need to just let this go. Let me grow this many plants. This is how much you get. This is how much it's worth. This is what you can do with it. And that was at like freaking 15. Um, but anyways, obviously I didn't just like come up with a bunch of pot seeds on my own out of nowhere. I started hanging out with the other kids who, um, we're at the same like uh, economic level as me, but like me being new also, you know, it's harder to get into the friend groups um, that are super well established. It's kind of the outsiders that are like, eh, you know, you're, you're willing to do some crazy stuff. You like to smoke weed, you know, hang, hang out with us. And so nothing against those kids personally. It's just, that's kind of the people I started to hang out with. And then, um, then the trouble starts. Was the idea is trying to get money as quickly as possible and a lot of it instead of like at 15, sometimes you can work at like a fast food place or a grocery store and things like that, but it might take a lot longer to make a certain amount of money. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, it was that same time period. I had my first job out there at 14, um, $5 an hour cash under the table, uh, at a greenhouse water and plants and, um, I would get like um, pimped out to uh, little old ladies to go uh, dig up their gardens and plant their plants for them and stuff. And, uh, you know, after that it was Pizza Hut and just, um, I mean, I stayed working, but like the results I saw from that and like the amount of money my mom made working full time, it's like that, this isn't, this is not the way or there has to be a different way. Um, I didn't have uh, any any influences, at least that I recognized, um, or any people that you know I saw what they were doing and looked up to and wanted to learn more. Um, so that's kind of where you know, just obviously, quick, easy money is alluring. You don't think about the long term consequences or the penalties. Did you feel that the things that you were getting involved with was dangerous and that there's a lot of risk involved? Um, I mean, I definitely knew there was, was risk um, because in a small town like that, it was like cops and robbers every weekend with like, like the high school kids drinking and the cops trying to bust us drinking. And um, so you have that sense of sneaking around or, getting away with stuff, but I didn't actually understand the um, actual legal consequences and the, the, how do you, how would you even word that? Uh, the, the blocks in motion or the things that that sets in motion. Um, that's, that's a lot to grasp, especially for somebody who's, you know, naive or young in the world. So. Did um, you have, did you ever have those moments where, like cops coming by, I, this could be the end. Like, I don't know if I'm going to make it the next day or. Not, not, not out there in Montana. Um, when I got back to Ohio, it got way crazier. Um, out there in Montana, I got uh, at 15, I got arrested with a pound of pot and then I had a bunch of guns, but that was more hunting guns. There was no, like, there was no gangster aspect to it. There was no, you know, like I'm going to use this on a person that was strictly hunting, whatever. And, um, you'll get the contrast here in a little bit. <laughs> um, but then that, that pound of pot, um, 15 years old, they wanted to try me as an adult uh, with like prison time and, you know, things like that. And I got lucky um, and just got sentenced to probation until I was 21. Um, and that kind of opened my mind to like, holy crap, you know, these guys are something something's up here like uh you know yeah what I'll, was I'll what was that like after you get that probation um decision did you feel like i need to get out of dealing with drugs and kind of start new in a way and find a different path not hang out with the same people and people things like that um yeah. No, just stone cold. No, I wish I could lie and tell you, or, you know, I wish I could tell you something better, but uh, that would be a lie. Um, so 
I was, I don't know, I was dumb and a teenager and um, made really bad decisions. <laughs> like, that's horrible to, to be so blunt about it, but um, I barely recognized it as a problem then. Like, like, um, and this is what the mentality I was going to get into, but like, um, it was still like us versus them or me versus them or like the cops or the, or the enemy or the uh, whatever. So yeah, it was hang out with the same people, try to smoke as much pot as possible um, without getting busted by my probation officer. Um, like I, I was a juvenile delinquent, I guess <laughs> that's the best way to word it. Did your mom get upset that the decisions that you were making because at before you were hiding it from her, but now you have these legal thing cases going and now it's like, you got to confront what she thinks. Yeah. Um, yeah. She had a really hard time with it. Um, so something I kind of skipped over was the religious background. Um, so I grew up to have this witness. Um, my mom was basically born into it. You know, I think she was a couple of years old, like two or three, uh, when my grandparents joined. And so that's a very um, separate group from the rest of, you know, society. Like you still function within society, but you don't associate. Um, <clears throat> you're in the world, not of it, and things like that. Um, so we had a really big disconnect there because I like, you know, I felt like everything I was told growing up, like I was lied to, like you guys told me like, you know, psychedelics are, are horrible. You're going to die the first time you try them and drugs are bad. And all these people outside of the church are bad, um, you know? And so I was really lost, I guess. And then, you know, that, that point of reference or what, what most people would should have as a like a homing beacon or something like a like a foundation um that foundation was kind of broken um at that time while she was still figuring out her life of just leaving that same organization so yeah it was a, it was a rocky little rocky time but yeah she tried like heck to get me to stop um all the stupid stuff i was doing so. do you think that if she was able to get you to stop that maybe the path leading to what's next could have been completely different. Or did you feel that you had everything going and you didn't want to stop living that kind of lifestyle? Um, I hadn't seen anybody super successful. The people I worked with, um, I got ended up getting off probation at 18 and then shortly, very shortly after moving back to Ohio. Um, but, uh, you know, in Montana, the people I worked with making 10 bucks an hour at the fiberglass factory, huffing fiberglass resins and whatever, um, outside of the foreman or the boss, um, I, there wasn't too many good examples of like um, people to look up to, the kids my age, they were going to college or they played sports or, you know, they had activities like healthy activities and at that point you know i'm no longer allowed to shoot guns so i lost my hunting there I could still fish um, or bow hunt um so i think not having any role models um really shaped um why that was my normal like that was my everyday like i you know it's like i don't understand why you don't smoke drugs uh, or why you don't use drugs or you know i um or you know so it was it was it's still really early in the game here as far as you know uh the progression of things it still is in 31 but um yeah it was not having something like to look at that wasn't one extreme or the other so did you have a dream job that you were wanting like say you had no drugs wasn't a thing at all that you were going to college and things like that. Did you have a path that you were hoping to go for? Um, the best thing that I knew to do, and I remember this pretty vividly, was just learn a trade, learn a trade. Then you can make enough money to survive um, and have, you know, a little bit extra. Um, that was kind of the best 
best plan that I had for years. Um, all through high school, it took all four, you know, four years of vocational agriculture, which taught you more than farming, um, welding, all these other things. Um, but like being in that small town, like being a pipe fitter for the refinery in the town was like, you know, the, the ace job to have. That was the, that was the people with the new cars and the new, you know, sports cars or whatever. Um, besides that, uh, I didn't really have a passion or like a direction that, you know, I had put a ton of energy into. You, know? you mentioned after when you were 18, you got off probation. What was next for you? What were you going to do? Things like that. Where was the path leading towards? Um, definitely catching another felony. Uh, that's where that path was going. So um, I'd quit selling drugs. Um you know, while I was in Montana, but just still um, drinking underage and um, smoking pot. And um, I think I took a trip cross country to pick mushrooms in Oregon, bring those back because you couldn't find them. Like just ridiculous stuff um, that, you know, normal people like shake their head at. Like, you know, um, that... Um, sorry, I got lost. I told you I try to stay out of the weeds here. Um, can we start that part over, or oh, uh, you can, can continue. The question. Oh, yeah. Was, was start. So after eighteen, what was that next path for you? You got off the probation, but what was the path leading towards next? Okay, so when I got, I got off probation at eighteen. Um, that was just a loophole that I had found. If I stayed in high school um, and graduated, I would have been transferred to adult probation. Um, if I dropped out and got my GED, I could get off probation at eight, like the day I turned 18 or the day before I turned 18. Um, so as soon as that happened, now I'm, I'm free you know, from you know, supervision, community supervision. Uh, my mom had wanted to move back to Ohio at that point. Um, that would have been my last family member there. Uh, I was not in a position to like, stand on my own two feet there. Uh, so I came back to Ohio with her. Um, also because um, I don't remember what it was specifically, but let's say I'd, I had gotten some minor paraphernalia charge or something like that. And I was like, screw that. I'm out. Um, and, and left and came back to Ohio. So that's where that path leads after getting off probation. Um, and I can go further if you'd like. Yeah, keep going. All right. So the same kids that um, I was in elementary and middle school with, um, I moved back to Ohio. I had kept in somewhat loose contact with them. I think MySpace was a thing then. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I, knew where, I knew where one of my friends lived and um, I went to see them and just you know, the only people I really remembered from growing up here and, or from when I lived here. Um, well, sure enough, they all sell weed. I'm like, oh, hey, I know this game. Um, you know, we're going to get along great. So uh, basically, it led right back to where I left off in Montana, except for there's a lot more people, there's a lot more access, and there's a lot, yeah, there's a lot going on in Ohio. So, yeah. Do you feel if you had a different mindset that maybe that it wouldn't tempt you as much? Cause it seemed, it, cause just by hearing your story, when you moved, it was going to be maybe a fresh start, but then you reached out to those friends, but then they're kind of going, having that same impact where anywhere you went, if there was drugs involved, it kind of sucked you right back into the past and kind of going into that dangerous route do you think if you had maybe a different mindset that you wouldn't get into that loop uh yeah uh the mindset for sure but if i had different relationships um i really strongly believe that like you are who you hang out with like you're the you know some of the five people you hang out with um and so 
like time and time again. Um, I kind of left out the details because he's a, a great human. He just um, had some alcohol issues, like my mom's boyfriend, fiance out there in Montana, you know, alcoholic on parole. Um, it's, you know, just so happens I end up, you know, on drugs, on probation, then eventually parole. And, um, back to Ohio. Now the only people that have any uh, prior relationship with they're, you know, selling drugs, partying. Um, when you like fast forward now, um, just real briefly, um, my friends are my old bosses and like people that I looked up to. And um, I just, I don't know if I, by doing better, you attract the right people into your life. Um, I don't know. I do know that, but um, back then, uh, I really didn't have a place, a direction to go. Um, and when you don't have a direction to go, or you don't have a, a don't know where you're going, anywhere I'll do type thing. So, getting back with those friends and coming back to Ohio, did it ever get to the legal stuff? Did you get another felony? Did you get more probation? Things like that, or did you kind of escape away from it? Um, yeah, uh, you could say that I got in a little bit of trouble. Um, now, so, you know, I got back to Ohio at 18, um, it, within months, um, I, I like fully embrace now that like the way my mind works, everything, I'm an entrepreneur, like I like creating things, I like, um, challenges and, and solving problems and, you know, coordinating things, um. So I very quickly overtook all of my friends as far as then I became their supplier um, or at a higher level than them. Um, I feel like if you say it that way, it's like a Rico charge or something. Nobody wants those problems. <laughs> I already served my time. Um, so uh, yeah, uh, I was very entrepreneurial. I just didn't know how to direct it. And uh, the one thing I did know was drug trafficking. Um, so they were selling pot. I started selling pot. So I started selling more pot than them and to them, like whatever, to everybody. And um, then it then I escalated to um, ecstasy, uh, MDMA. You know, um, the technical drug was piperzine, um, which is like a knockoff or something or a, a whatever. Doesn't matter. It's completely irrelevant. Um, so I think I lasted an entire year and a half before the Allied Combined or the ACE Task Force, Allied Combined Enforcement, um, and the uh, tobacco, drugs, tobacco, firearms people, whatever their group's called, ATF, yeah, there it is, uh, kick in my door, uh, raid me. Um, I had been selling to somebody who was wearing a wire. Um, sold him 405 ecstasy pills um i got some insane um charges initially like engaging in a pattern of corrupt activity for running a drug ring um and then like you know felony like the highest level felonies for drug trafficking and things like that um that's where that's enough trouble to make you kind of rethink what you're doing um the probation at 15 didn't really uh register uh, I was facing like 63 years in prison if they maxed out those initial charges. Um, yeah, um, I had, uh, you know, dynamite. And yet again, not for like crazy, like hurt people reasons. It's like, well, I just came from Montana. And like, I would love to blow up a washing machine in the junkyard. Like, that would be freaking cool. Um, I did have, you know, an AK-47 and drum clips and all that stuff because I could afford it from the, you know, proceeds of my ridiculous choices um so yeah uh yeah didn't yeah didn't get better um i ended up serving three years um i pled it down to three years um mandatory um right after my right shoot five days after my 20th birthday so i did get i was out for 18 and 19 and then 20 to 23, I was locked up in prison. And let's go into the mindset of that if you want. Yeah. Talk about that. And what's the biggest thing you learned about yourself going through those three years? Um, so, yeah. All right. 
so for a 20 year old who's uh you know foundation mentally is like drug trafficking and like that stuff's normal that's your every day like kind of like we'll get into i don't know how much time you have but it doesn't get better for a while um um, you know that's your normal uh well you go into um prison at 20 um you're still really influential at 20 uh or easily influenced and um you know luckily i did there was a lot of people i didn't want to be like but then you also meet people that's like well he's pretty cool and he's in prison you know and whatever um the whole way that the prison system at least here in ohio is set up is more of like a human warehousing um but with systems put in place to extract money from your family um instead of like rehabilitate and um maybe say give you a skill or something that when you reintegrate into society you can use to support yourself um standing here on two feet and you know like give something back to your community to your town your society whatever um so it was and it it still it still was you know like us against them um the co's versus the inmates and um being able to watch like they uh they shake up your routine they do all these things to keep you um unstable or like um easily controlled basically um they'll come in with their show of force with the srts and just do drills and strip you all naked next to each other and like even the intake process was ridiculous like i was like i was literally naked in a room with like 10 other guys with no light like a like a ymca shower area um for for hours and hours um like they do these little things to break you down the shows are in control whatever um, and I've kind of always been like strong-willed, I guess, maybe you see that, or I don't learn quick, or <laughs> I don't learn the bad stuff, I'm joking. Um, so while being in there, um, you have the, the influence of, you know, like you're not, I'm not Sterling Shroud in there, I was inmate 639206. Um, your property of the state you're not a person so like you take somebody who already has um, self-esteem yeah, potentially self-esteem issues and potentially uh, like these other emotional or self-worth especially things um, and it's like just knock that down a couple more levels um, and then it's inmate against inmate um, like but not like a, we fight every day, um, you got three years. If you don't like somebody and they're in there for five and you're in there for three and whatever, it's, you're playing a long game. So it is like a strategic mental thing. You can see these, like you could see people lay traps six months in advance for somebody else. And like it was, it, um, it sharpened my uh, social skills or my people skills. Um, um i can never forget the i can never remember the term uh but yeah my emotional intelligence my um social skills oh yeah whatever um yeah it honed that very fine especially being a young white kid um and it was like a majority black prison um of course there was fighting of course you know things happened um but i was always really against the that system itself and like still fighting that and not working on myself. I wasn't like fixing the real issue. Um, it was, I was still distracted by the, by that life in there. So. Do you think if you went in at a younger age, it would maybe have been a big eye opener or do you feel that you went in at the right time? And when you got out, it was like, kind of like, okay, I learned my lesson. I need to focus on myself and getting better. So the thing I focused on in there, I think the timing was right. Like now, um, you know, I, um, I wouldn't change any of it, honestly. And I, I talk, I'm trying to talk like as, as openly and honestly as possible yeah. with all this. Um, and it's, it does, I'm just trying to also put myself in the mindset at that point in time. So, you know, bear with it. 
Um, yeah, I don't regret any of it now. Uh, I think it was the right time. Um, but like me working on myself in there was exercising every day, I was going to the gym every day. Um, uh, and getting in the best physical shape I could be in, in there, that was where I would find self-worth. That's how I, that's kind of a deterrent, somebody that's physically strong, physically active. Um, like if you're going to take something from somebody, are you going to take it from the weak person who's probably not going to defend themselves? Or if, even if they try their best, it's not going to be as much of a fight as this guy. So my main focus in there was, you know, exercise and strength training and um, alliances and like it's off the chain. It's nuts in there. Um, it was not getting educated. It was not. Um, I did. A, I did make attempts. They had programs that um, the wait lists were longer than I was in there for. Um, for any of the ones that actually. Uh, led to a career with like a you know a demand um i did become a, a certified dog trainer while i was in there um i managed to keep a puppy for a while or puppies and train them for for kids who have disabilities so you teach them to nuzzle and you teach them um you're basically probably training them at that you know at that real low level stuff um but just you know basic commands and walking with you and not pulling and stuff like that so um I was unable to use that certification upon release. So. Well, if you ever got a dog, you'd be able to know how to train the dog. Oh yeah. I'm excellent with dogs. <laughs> he's, he's down here just hanging out. My golden doodle. Um, and surprisingly, like the basics of dog training and the basics of kid training or raising kids or however you look at life. <laughs> um, consistency, man. That's, that's the key to both. So <laughs> going past your time with drugs and alcohol and things like that, that talk about getting into that entrepreneurial mind. How did you, did you know what career you wanted? Because you can't go back to that lifestyle, but you got to be able to make money so you can afford things and things like that. Talk about that journey and being able to create something, a, a job for yourself and things like that. Um. Yeah, so I have to, I have to, I'll just barely like skim the top of the water of this stuff and get into that. Getting out of prison with no skills, um, 23 years old, with, you know, all my charges started with aggravated from aggravated trafficking or possession of dangerous ordinance or um, things like that. Um, that's not really good on a resume or a background check. Um, There's a specific point when I got out and I was trying because screw prison, I never want to go back. Um, I had given up on that like last little bit of self-esteem that I had. And I was like, and nothing against people that work at fast food. Um, but I was like, I'll go get a job at, at Chipotle. Like they have to hire me. It's fast food. They don't care about your background. Uh, sure enough, they do. <laughs> and so after applying, they're like, no, we can't hire you. You're, you know, whatever, um, uh, dangerous, this and aggravated that like, all right. Um, but apparently after reading those charges, the guy like gave me a burrito. He's like, he felt really bad. He's like, dude, I'm so sorry. I'm like, I'm not violent. Like I swear. Um, so anyways, um, yeah, after that, it was like, oh, well, society doesn't care that like I did every day of my time. Um, yeah, my mom cared. She loves me. And, you know, there's a few people that you know, didn't think differently of me. Um, but my options were now extremely limited as far as work. So it was Craigslist work. It was handyman work. It was drywall painting, um, you know, construction labor. Um, so I went into that, um, and like hardcore drug addiction, um, because that's how I coped with that feeling of rejection from society. And, and that feeling of like shame that like, I'm not able to provide for myself I still have to live with my mom's at 23 24 25 um and so i picked up skills along the way that like led me to where i am now um multiple attempts of rehab and trying to get better and just like not go back to prison that was a really big goal um still is uh, 
will always be. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so basically over, you know, you know, 20, 23 to 28 and a half, um, I'm fight, I fight this drug addiction and, um, try to get better. I'm able to, for little stints at a time, I had like two years sober at one point, uh, relapsed. Um, but like after the, after going to the Salvation Army rehab in Florida, um, I saw people there, and this goes back to kind of that mentors I didn't have or relationships. I saw people there from situations like I came from who had stuff, who had their lives together, whose lives weren't chaos and like they didn't have to worry about, you know, um, whatever, choosing between what bills to pay or like that level of economic distress. Um, so that was kind of where I saw that it was possible. And you know, getting sober and taking that time to work on myself, um, you know, and like really deal with the issues that I had never dealt with. Um, even after that relapse, uh, the times of relapsing went, got smaller and smaller and smaller, like, cause I knew I didn't want to live this way. I knew it, it's just, I didn't know, uh, how or what to, or, you know, how that would work out yet. Um, that culminates in a, uh, Taco Bell drive through at the order window, um, overdosing, uh, with said dog, uh, with me. He got, he went to jail, um, too, um, guilty by association or whatever, but uh, <laughs> he went to dog jail. Um, now, um, that, that was a short relapse, man. That was like a, a week. I'd been sober. My son was, uh, I just had a son, um, he was about six months old. Uh, I, was, I was doing pretty good and then just slipped up and uh, accidental overdose. But it was so, that's what like shook me to my core. That's what, um, it's a weird feeling to describe. Um, like I wasn't scared. I wasn't um, even upset necessarily. Like I didn't, I just, I knew like I had a, I had a truth. I had like a fundamental truth. I don't want to die. Like that point blank. It was a pretty savage overdose. I came back at the hospital and you know, whatever. Um, yeah. If I die, all this stuff, I've done so good with not cussing. Oh, if you do, it's okay. <laughs> it's no worries. I was just so proud of myself. Um, all this like suffering and stuff that I've been through um, and like misery and just whatever um self-inflicted not self-inflicted whatever um my son's like guaranteed that um not all but guaranteed that i should say you know that's i'm leaving him with his mom who is also an addiction um prior and um like he's not gonna stand a chance um without me here um and now knowing that i don't want to die because i really enjoy being alive um thoroughly enjoy being alive um it's like if i'm going to be alive then i need to figure out how to like make it sustainable and how to whatever um, make something of it and that that was a weird feeling i don't know if it was like a near-death experience um awakening or something like that that, that shook that in me but after that point um i didn't ever really have the urge to use again um i've never since um but prior to that i had also you know i wasn't hanging out with the same people so i didn't like go from the overdose right back into my whole friend circle as drug users or whatever i was i i had cut myself off from those people and um i had been working for this uh for a guy doing handyman stuff i uh replied to a craigslist ad for debris removal and um we started to build a relationship he kind of saw something in me that i didn't and i didn't recognize that you know at the time that that's what he was doing but he was paying me to learn like he was like he saw something in me to where like you know whatever it was he kept like challenging me and like 
I'm doing everything from, you know, pouring chimney caps, tuck point and chimneys to I build a self-storage facility for them, like literally by myself um, out of an old machine shop. Um, anything it was, he would pay me to go, he would, he would pay me to watch videos on it, to, to read about it. Because um, ultimately, I'm sure it was cheaper to hire the right person. But, um, <clears throat> no, but he was an entrepreneur. He's a, he's a, um, pilot in the air force reserves and i looked up to him and it wasn't that i looked up to him because of his uh i hope he gets to watch this because of his golf course mansion um <laughs> that you know i spent more time working on that than i did i think living at my house but um it was that he would talk to me about things if i had questions he would answer them he would elaborate on them and i think you know once he saw me starting to ask at first I asked him, I forget the exact question, but I asked him and he asked me why I wanted to know that and it threw him off. And I don't think he expected me to like whatever have thought about how the you know finances work with something or how the business structure works or whatever. But um like the self-storage thing, he just kind of let me run with it. I designed everything. Um we had an architect draw it up, but like um I was whatever. I did the whole layout, I did the security, I did the automation. Um like front to back and that that was cool that i got that opportunity to do that it's like while i didn't make any while i made 15 bucks an hour doing it um and he got a business <laughs> he had the money to do it so um it showed me that i could do something and that was like the first thing i'd really accomplished i built a business for somebody else even if it was their idea like i still you know saw it put it together and it worked and so from there, it kind of takes off a little, a little bit. At this stage, was this the first time you felt confident in something like positive reassurement or reassurance and things like that? Yeah, I had never finished something start to finish, let alone, you know, like, like kept a job with somebody. Um, oh, yeah, I always screwed that up. Um, and uh my timeline's a little bit off. Um, I worked for him after the overdose um, because when that happened, um, you know, I took a day off or something, came to work the next day. And by work, I mean, I went to his house to work on something for him. And um, when I told him about it, like this dude that like I looked up to, you know, I'm like, this guy's, you know, brilliant and whatever. Um, have stuff that I want or traits that I want. Um, he actually like cried and I wasn't, I was like casual about it, you know, told him what happened and like, he got upset and I was like, Oh, like, I didn't expect that. Like I thought it just worked for you, you know? And he was like, you know, that, and that makes me kind of feel some emotion, but, um, like, I didn't think literally, I didn't think anybody saw value in me up until that point. Um, when it, when seeing somebody that you look up to, you know, show you that they um, value you more than just the, you know, whatever labor you provide them. So that was like one of the first real impactful relationships. I got, I stay off topic, but go ahead. <laughs> you're good, you're good, no <laughs> worries. Looking now at your sobriety and recovery, how has that journey been, especially during these tough times where a lot of people maybe could have been tempted through the pandemic and things like that? Did you find that you were being strong for your family and you wanted to just continue doing the things that you love and not be able to be tempted again? Um, yeah, so... You know, like timing was on my side. You know, this was prior to the pandemic that, that I had overdosed. Um, but it wasn't until whatever Christmas Eve, literally, that I heard my first podcast and I found out how much you can learn online with podcasts like these and um, audio books and like self-education. Um, so when the pandemic hit, um, I had already uh, developed this like, uh like enjoyment of responsibility like you know i wasn't crushing it by any means you know I was, i'm sure i was in debt and i was a renter and i didn't have you know whatever um but like my family was 
taken care of. Um, like I got up and did what needed to be done and um, had built that routine. So when the pandemic hit and I didn't have to go anywhere um, necessarily, and it shut me off from a bunch of distractions, I dove in even harder. I'm like I got more time for audiobooks, I got more time yep. for podcasts. And um, that first year, um, 60 audio, 60 something audiobooks, um, and then. I know 400 podcast episodes of one specific one, um, but you know there was others I was listening to as well. But that that was those became like my mentors and my like uh, the people I looked up to, my relationships. Like that was the self talk in my head. Um, that was a massive influence. So even though I was you know isolated from, you know everybody was isolated from each other, I dove into the relationships of you know the authors or the hosts and stuff like that and it was not a real relationship but um, might as well be well a lot of times when people listen to like shows or they stay consistent with like one host or something you kind of learn so much that you feel like you know them a lot more than even if you hadn't spoken to them in person and I think during those times I even had the same thing where I would I I mean, I'm not an audio book guy, but podcasts, that's where I kind of really got involved in listening to them. And you just hear things. You're like, where has this been all my life? Like, it took me this long to finally find these. But I think it's just like they say everyone has a show now. So it's like you're going to find something that you're wanting to learn. It's out there. You just got to find it. Yeah. Yeah, I 100% agree. Out of all those episodes in audiobook, is there one that kind of hits you like, wow, I learned a lot or I learned something new about me listening to these? All of them. Um, <laughs> Which that's fine because that's so true. Yeah. I mean, I was, I mean, I, yeah, I came from a really um, different position than I'm in now as far as like how I see the world, um, the, like the, you know, the lens I view the world through. Um like how I look at relationships, um, the value I place on relationships, that's more valuable than, you know, finance or money or, you know, um, there's so much um, that like, it's hard for me. It's hard for me to get, to not get too excited, overly excited. Um, There's a nonprofit I found at the beginning. um, And they, you know, of course went virtual with, with the, with, uh, coronavirus or whatever, um, COVID. Say all the keywords here. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure that we really get fact checked. So, um, so um, that group, um, they were super cool. Like I told them up front, like this is where I'm at. This is my background, and um, nobody batted an eye. They were like, "Yeah, you can do whatever you want, man. Just if you're willing, put the work in, get educated, and like." like really you know every day go after it you're gonna get it and I'd never had anybody tell me that you know and so now here's this like um self-worth or self-confidence or whatever coming um from them um and so I didn't have anything to offer them like from the position I was at like you know donate money uh whatever I had time and I had experience, and this is why I don't regret the way that things have happened. Um, it's hard to relate to somebody getting out of prison uh, if you've never been to prison, especially a younger person, um, or getting in trouble with the law or whatever, um, or with drug addiction. Um, the, so, like, the, the my ability to relate to and communicate with people from similar backgrounds as me. Um, that's where I found that, you know, these, this nonprofit was, you know, designed to help youth get out of poverty, um, and like create excellent lives and like make change. Um, but they, they weren't in that recovery space. They weren't in that, they were in the incarceration space, but not its own like subgroup or anything, you know, they just, it's kind of a general thing. Like it's good for everybody to work on yourself and learn some new skills. Um, so 
Um, I get so far off track, or you know, there's there's so much I leave out in the midst of leaving out so much stuff because I got stories for days, as you can imagine, with my lifestyle. Um, yeah, that's just um, that was the relationships there that like you know via Zoom stuff like that. That's that's where I found a purpose or sustainability. I don't know. Talk about the creation of One Life Rediscover Mastermind. How did that concept come about and what's the big mission with it? Yeah, um, some of it's a little, a little contrary to uh, normal, you know, like a traditional uh, recovery and what people would think of with like AA or NA. And I love that stuff. Um, I am super grateful for its existence. That's where I got my foundation. Um, but the parts that are missing, I think, is that like um, economic resources. Like it's, I find it easier to get over a bad day when um, I can pay all my bills and I um, have a few, like I'm excited about the future as far as <clears throat> knowing five years from now, it's, it's, um, it's unlikely that I'll be struggling uh, financially. Um, and with that comes the ability to do more things that you enjoy or the freaking ability to help people in ways that like I never saw possible before. So, you know, now I have tenants trying to teach all my tenants like how to get their credit scores up like oh you got you got to get a secured credit card you need, you need to be doing this this and this check this out there's all kinds of resources online um you know like um so not just like providing like good housing but then also like you know offering that stuff to to them to help them get their stuff together um like I let one dude terminate a lease because he bought a house he got his credit score up got a better job and um i was like well you listen to me and i was like i'm not gonna you know penalize you for it like congratulations you know he was having a baby and all this other stuff um so the the mastermind group came from uh me wanting to serve the community or the demographic that i came from incarcerated addicted homeless um like and give them the basic level financial education of like what's possible um because i like i didn't know what was possible with money i didn't know how money truly worked i didn't know how leverage worked i didn't know yeah we have a yeah or we like wildlife we have a clock that on the hour is a different <laughs> bird um I, yeah i don't have an endangered bird locked in a cage right? <laughs> As, you know, <laughs> um so anyways uh yeah that that's that's what I was like really passionate about. Um, like I discovered this um, for myself and I really wanted to share it with people and the people who helped me a lot, this was my way to get back to them. Um, so like I paid for, you know, the whatever materials or like there's like a, a really, there's a, let's say a fee to get into the group, the mastermind group. Um, there's plenty of people that are willing to um sponsor other people through it and like i've i've done it i would do it in a heartbeat um this is like horrible for any profit model but it's a non-profit so <laughs> doesn't matter um but like they you know they get a one life roadmap and it's um it's vision relationship finance and wellness or yeah one's out of order there but we won't backtrack um where you go through and you teach these people the core four and these pillars of you know, setting goals, how to set goals, how to um, judge the relationships in your life, how to, you know, create your own personal board of directors. And that's kind of like we talked about um, with the authors or other podcast hosts or what would these people do? And, you know, uh, for me, it would be maybe like Napoleon Hill for, um not goal setting, but like my overall direction in life. Like he has a book called Outwitting the Devil. I don't know if you've read that. Um, it's it's insane. It's like you have to brace yourself for that book. It's crazy. Uh, There's this thing called drifting. And like, you know, when you, whenever I catch myself drifting or things like that, 
Um, and then, you know, the financial aspect of like, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people in situations like I was in, it's like credit doesn't matter as much as just getting the paycheck and paying your bills. Well, like, no, it does. <laughs> um, it matters a ton because it gives you all these other options. It's expanding your options. It's, it's expanding what you can do. Um, and then getting educated and learning, you know, whatever. I can get like that. I'm trying so hard to rein myself in on that one. And then the, and then the wellness aspect, you know, like taking care of your, your physical body, um, mentally, you know, making sure your mental health stuff, like, like setting these KPIs, like these uh, key performance indicators. Um, that's not a one life thing. It's just a, I think it's actually like a real estate thing, but um, setting these KPIs for like, where am I with my mental health? What are the things that alert me to, um, you know, like, I'm not normally this way. Um, having the relationships for people to, to keep that in balance. Um, and then just like spiritually, emotionally, all that stuff, man. Um, but working on yourself, I really like the example of um, I was on a plane to Austin to work with some guys in rehab down there and teach them some skills. And um, the airline attendant, she says, you know, uh, in case of whatever, we lose oxygen, masks will drop down put your mask on first before putting masks on your children or anyone else. And, um, I really strong, like that was, that hit me really hard. I'm like, that's it. You know, if I can't get my, I'll cut sometime. If I can't get my shit together, who the hell else can I help? Um, yeah, it sounds selfish and it sounds whatever, but it's, it's not in the long run, as long as your intention is to help others and, you know, you do, use what you gain to help others so uh, <laughs> when one the, life mastermind became a thing so when these individuals come to you do you feel that they can connect with you because you've gone through it and you've rise to the challenge than someone who is teaching the same exact thing but they have not gone through the same stuff as you'd have yeah and like everybody has their own struggles and everybody you know everybody's bottom is different for recovery you'll hear that and um um but there's some people that like their bottom was pretty savage compared to other people you know some people like you know got would have got woke up at 15 with um adult charges for drug trafficking they'd be like whoa that's serious um and some of us need to just run that to the max until we get out of prison and, and sleep in abandoned houses. Um, and so, yeah, there's definitely something to that. And like that, I feel that it's really important to be able to connect with people on that level um, to make sure that I think it's real easy to feel like a victim um, of your circumstances or of, you know, take that victimhood mentality or whatever. Um, so I try to be a good example in that fashion. Um, I'm not like, you know, whatever, balling financially. Um, I just, I'm good at building stuff. So like, it looks cool. Chalkboard, it's not that cool. <laughs> 10 minutes, it's paint. Um, I do have my golden doodle. But I, I traded a job for him. I did some work for him. So. Um, no, but like um, showing people these alternatives to um, not, yeah, alternatives or exposing them to new ideas or new ways to like not just stop when they hit an obstacle. Like there's a way around it, whether it's over it, under it, through it, you know, whatever. Um, I'm really good at that. And that's what I try to pass on to the people with, with very similar circumstances my own or my past just what you just said i always compare it to an obstacle course think about those inflatable obstacle course people think there's there's only one way to really get through it but you can go in so many different directions but you can still accomplish what you're wanting to accomplish you can accomplish that course as long as you get to the end so you hit it on the right on the nose where you teach them different avenues, different ways to get to where they want. And I think a lot of people that are listening are going to definitely take that because they might have this goal that they're wanting, but they just don't know how to get there. Or they feel that, oh, there's no straight path. I have to take the back roads to get there. 
And I kind of viewed the same way in mine. Like I went to college for sports management, but I'm not in a sports job, but my eventual goal is to get to sports, but I'm taking all these back roads and building skill sets to eventually get there. But it's, it's all about the mental. And I think we talked about that quite a bit is where it's how you take it mentally will affect how you act, how you basically go on to your task and things like that. 100%, man. Um, Yeah, I mean, the harder things get, um, the less people, like, and this is is that entrepreneur stuff, Um, the harder things get, like, that's that's a, um, that weeds out the people that don't really want to, that don't want something as bad or don't, you know, like, um, so it's like, when, when a lot of people get stuck, they look at it like, um you know it's difficult you know poor me it's like no this is like this is it this is where i come in i crush it all these other people are going to give up at that point now i now i only have to worry about and this i don't mean to come from like this uh scarcity mindset of me versus them or whatever but um as far as building your own like determination your own um belief in yourself and things like that um the more of those obstacles you cross, the, the more momentum you gain, the, the more, uh, the easier the next one is, you know, ultimately. So um, I had something to say uh, prior to that. Um, upset, upset so much. <laughs> <laughs> so what does the future look like for you? What are you hoping to accomplish in the next few years, personally and professionally? Is it three years? A few years. Oh, a few years? Okay. Yeah. I got all kinds of, yeah. I'll get out my three year. I'll get out my, yeah, I'm kidding. Um, that's what it was. Let me just hit on this really quick. Having that why, um, like the re, like uh, Frederick Nietzsche, he who has a why uh, to live can bear almost anyhow. Um, when you have a why and you have a goal and you have a vision, um, it's a really easy processing system or a really easy process or system to filter your actions through is it's going to get me closer or farther from where I truly want to be like where I took time to get away and like this is what I want out of life um so that's what I wanted to touch on um now where do I want to be in a few years um <clears throat> so I am two years and four months into like what I would call my entrepreneurship, like, or intentional entrepreneurship of at least starting the education process intentionally. Um, um, I'll keep this quick. I own it like this house. We don't have a mortgage on. Um, I got it for 20 grand. Uh, uh, got lucky with the um, you know, appreciation in the market, whatever. Our two-year mark's coming up in two months. I can sell it. Um, with no capital gains tax um, for like a lot more than it paid for it, which that money is then freed up to be used for leverage for, you know, more investment properties. Um, The next few years, by the end of this year, I'm trying to have enough passive income from rental properties that I've um, acquired with partners or the ones now um, by myself that my time freedom is, um, that I'm financially free as far as I don't have to um, give up my time to make enough money to pay the bills. And then I can spend so much more time like working with like the, the mastermind group or a variation of that or just giving back to communities that don't normally get this stuff. Like um, I think it's really... I really want to inspire younger people who have it hard already um, and show them what they can do. So in the next few years, I want to be doing that with, with my kids, um, you know, helping out or whatever. I want to be doing that with a good chunk of my time, that and salmon fishing. (laughs) Is it about to be salmon fishing season? Is there a season for that? There's always a season. You just have to go. and find it and like <laughs> hunt them down dude we've been to alaska idaho colorado um, new york catch salmon now like um i wish i could say that it was like like tarpon or like you know or swordfish or something 
it's not some of it's like literally just like um what would you call that a kid's game or like you drop the magnet in their mouth oh yeah (laughs) yeah like some of it's like fish harvesting or something like you know depending on where you're at but i love to fish i love nature and yeah the final question I'll ask you for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals and rise to the challenge? Surround yourself with people who are actively doing it. Um, even if you can't physically surround yourself with them, listen to audiobooks based on it, listen to podcasts based on it, reach out and network with people. Um, via however forums facebook whatever the whatever media um podcast guest podcast host anybody you can get a hold of that's actively doing what you want to do or um overcoming stuff or making progress is surrounding yourself with those people is freaking key that's what i got Well, Sterling, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and being so open and sharing your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you. Thank you very much. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow, subscribe on all major audio platforms and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to see the full length episode in video format. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.